This episode is brought to you by the One Fork Group Incorporated, a leading supplier of innovative dormancy and sprout inhibiting products for the potato storage industry. They believe that sustainability is intrinsically linked with the concept of stewardship. One Fork Group practices sustainability by helping farmers minimize product loss using their family of biocontrol products. Learn more at oneforgroup.com. Welcome to the Potato Field Podcast. I'm Zeke Jennings, host of the podcast and editor of Spudman Magazine. Joining the show today from Washington, D.C. is Cam Quarles, the CEO of the National Potato Council. Cam, thanks for coming on. It is always great to talk to you. Zeke, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, we're about halfway through 2021. Actually, we're over halfway through. We're now into July. Um, thought it would be a good time just to catch up with you and see how things are going, kind of a mid-year review. Uh, first of all, uh, summer meetings, NPC summer meetings are coming up uh, July 26th to 28th. Those are going to be virtual again this year. Um, so still time to sign up for those if you haven't. Uh, but what do you anticipate being some of the big talking points during this three-day session? Yeah, Zeke, it's, uh, we're, as we record this, we're only a couple weeks away from the summer meeting. We were very hopeful that we were going to be able to actually see everyone in person up in Maine. Uh, you know, uh, Dominic LaJoy is the president of NPC this year, and um, we, were, we were hopeful of showcasing uh, all of his activities for our summer meeting. Unfortunately, the logistics being what they are, um, it, was, it was not going to be possible for us to put on the first class program that we want to for all of the growers. So as, as you mentioned, we're all, all virtual this year. I think the big topics that we're going to be discussing, you know, clearly, where, where have we been in regard to COVID and, um, you know, where are we going? Where's the recovery uh, going to take us? That's, that's probably on everyone's mind. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of work on this Mexico fresh issue. I think there's, there's a lot of interest in that. Um, you've got uh, a great deal of discussion here in D.C. about um, ag labor reform, about this big uh, infrastructure package. What does all that look like? Uh, and then it's just, you know, getting back to the business of, uh, that we were used to um, before 16 months ago, trying to get back to whatever this new normal looks like. So I, I think that's, that's a lot of what folks are going to be talking about moving forward. Uh, any uh, updates on the PLEAF, the, the uh, the, found, the PLEAF Foundation? Yeah, the Potato Leaf. So the Potato mm. Leadership Education and Advancement Foundation. Mm. Uh, you know, we kicked that off at the expo in Las Vegas. So that was just uh, two months before the whole COVID deal kind of shut us down. Uh, and I thought what was remarkable about that, Zeke, is you know, we, we rolled out this foundation and the purpose of Potato Leaf is to support the great leadership institute that, um, that the industry has uh, benefited from for um, getting on, we're, we're getting close to two decades of, um, of, of uh, Potato Industry Leadership Institute classes. Uh, so we really wanted to secure the future of that, um, of that great leadership program and despite the fact that we got hit with a once-in-a-century once public health crisis, the, the, it was remarkable. The industry um, stood up and, and funded Potato Leaf. We're actually ahead of our fundraising goals. 
And uh, I, I thought that, you know, as everybody's worried about their own families and businesses, and they're clearly getting hit with something that is just causing a lot of chaos, um, they still have the ability to step outside their own, their own personal challenges and fund something that's going to generate benefits for um, hopefully for generations. So um, that, that was pretty neat to see and pretty gratifying. Says a lot about the industry, I think. Yeah, people are, are really dedicated, you know, in this industry. I've always been impressed with that. And <clears throat> I've interviewed numerous people that have gone through that uh, PILI program, and I've never heard a bad word about it. I mean, people, they say it's like a really a life-changing experience, really, a very eye-opening and just how things work and all that goes into to getting things done and, you know, all of that stuff. So we appreciate your hard work on that. And um, on that note, we're on schedule to go back in person for Expo in January. Um, is that still the plan to be in Anaheim early January, basically that, at Disneyland? Yeah, absolutely. That's the plan. Um, we're, we're really excited about getting everybody back together. Um, we, you know, we're obviously very optimistic that uh, we're, we're going to be on the well on the way back to uh, whatever the new normal looks like at that time. We're going to be um, right at the uh, Anaheim Convention Center. So that'll be, you know, literally right across the street is Disneyland. So we're hopeful that folks will want to bring their, their families and have some fun while they're also kicking off the, the new year of 2022. It's hard to believe that we're actually saying that that new year. It seems like it's way far off, but it's not actually. Um, so we're, we're thrilled that we're all going to get back together in person. Um, and you know, Holly and the whole team are working on what I think is going to be a terrific program uh, to, to get us back on the track of seeing everyone face to face rather than across a much as I like seeing you know, on Zoom, Zeke, I'd rather see you in person. Well, uh, I don't know if that's true or not, Cam, but uh, I <laughs> appreciate true. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, and getting out there, uh, I have heard uh, because of that location that the Orange County John Wayne Airport, if you can get in through there, is probably the easier way to go than to try to go LAX. So keep that on your radars if you're going out there. So, yeah. um, and you mentioned already the the Mex fresh potatoes to Mexico situation has been a very dominant topic so far this year. We finally got another step with the Mexican Supreme Court ruling unanimously, unanimously to allow fresh potato access through Mexico. Boom, we get another curveball that uh, Con Papa is going to have a hand in inspecting those potatoes. I know uh, U.S. Trade Representative Ty met with Mexican officials recently. As of July 15th, where are we with this whole situation, Cam? Yeah, uh, you, you're you're spot on with all of those um, those particular events, Zeke. Um, and we really appreciate the work that uh, Ambassador Tai has put in on this issue, as well as Secretary Vilsack and all of the staffs at USDA and USTR. They, they have really been unwavering in saying that Mexico has got to restore our access to that, what we think is going to be a tremendously valuable market if we can get reasonable access to it. And that's really the game that's, that, uh, that we're all working on right now. Um, 
I think um, it, it's been widely announced that the Mexican Agriculture Secretary, Secretary Villalobos, is going to be coming to meet with Secretary Vilsack in August. Um, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes uh, to try to sort through some of these technical challenges on restoring our market access. Um, I, you know, it's, it's probably too early to tell if those can be resolved by the time of that Vilsack Villalobos meeting, uh, but there's a lot of discussions that are going on behind the scenes. The main thing for us, Zeke, is we, we, we don't want to want a deal and a press conference that temporarily opens the market. Uh, we want durable market access. We want Mexico uh, to be a, 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 an export market for fresh U.S. potatoes that our growers can rely on, that Mexican consumers can rely on, and also, you know, companies that, uh, that want to serve um, r restaurant chains that want to serve uh, U.S. fresh potatoes um, as, you know, steak, steak houses that want to serve a, a terrific baked potato um, in their restaurant down in Mexico. They've got to have the, the, the knowledge that they've got a high quality supply coming from the U.S. to serve those restaurants. Similarly with uh, hamburger chains, those kind of things. So we've, we've got to make sure that this deal actually results in increased trade um, and, uh, and does it for the long term. Um, clearly, we've got some really powerful political interests that are direct competitors to, ours, to us. Um, you mentioned right about the time of that unanimous Mexican Supreme Court ruling, Mexico changed its testing requirements for U.S. fresh potatoes. Um, the change, there are a variety of different things that are changed in this new testing requirement. One of them being that our competitors, Compapa, are paying for the testing. And I, I've, I've done international trade for a very long time for a lot of different fruit and vegetable commodities. I don't think I ever rem, rem, recall a similar circumstance where the folks who have a vested interest in keeping you out of the market are paying for testing results that can keep you out of that market. Um, that, that is, a, that is a, an unusual circumstance and it raises a lot of questions about how viable this market access is, agreement is gonna be. Um, we, you know, we don't want uh, a circumstance where our competitors are paying for results that will ultimately result in blocking access to the to the market. That's just, you know, that that flies in the face of the USMCA and the World Trade Organization obligations and all of these things that Mexico signed up for. So they got to get that kind of stuff sorted out. And it sounds like um, uh, Secretary Vilsack and, and Ambassador Tai have been pretty receptive to your concerns. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think they they recognize. You know, you've. Yeah. You, you've got to have something that's workable that, you know, ultimately, is it going to stand behind American producers? Um, and if it doesn't, then it's a, not a deal worth having. And so I, I think they're very committed to that. And, and, you know, not just them at the, 
at the cabinet secretary level, but on down through the department. They want to see this as a, as a win. This has, been, this has gone on too long. It's got to get solved, and the time is now. Yeah, and on that note, um, coming up in our next issue of Spudman, we take a little bit of a look at the potential market uh, for U.S. potatoes in Mexico. We've got a good interview with John uh, Tosburn of Potatoes USA, who really kind of details, you know, there's a really big opportunity there because, you know, the, the quality and therefore the price of the potato that they have uh, dealt with in Mexico has probably really limited how many potatoes they're eating. So there's a big opportunity for for U.S. growers there, and a great uh, would be a great benefit to the uh, the Mexican people too to have better access. So hopefully that gets resolved. Yeah, that's great, and I'm I'm really glad you're doing that with John. Um, you know the the team that he runs there at, at Potatoes USA on the marketing side of things, um, tremendously valuable. And you know we're obviously our our job, Zeke, is to do the 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 federal and international policy work. Um, we want to we want to open the door to this new market, but then it's going to be all the work that Potatoes USA uh, does in terms of of uh, expanding and, you know, really realizing the, the potential of that market. They're going to be the ones who who lay all that groundwork to make it happen. Um, so it's really been a team effort. And, you know, we're we're hopeful that um, that that we're going to get to a place where we've got a got a reasonable market access agreement here, but there's still work to be done. And uh, you've had a, a lot of conversations or some conversations already with with uh, Secretary Vilsack on that topic and other topics. But another one that you've got a chance to talk to him recently about was ag labor and getting that jump jump started in the uh, in the Senate. Um, what was the the feedback from that? from that meeting that you had with him and it was you and some, some of the other ag leaders. And um, from our industry standpoint, I mean the potato industry, what are the biggest issues with ag labor? And do you think that House bill, the Farm Labor Modernization Act is on the right track to address those? Yeah, so the, the that was, under, you mentioned the very interesting meeting that we had. It, it was interesting for me, Zeke, because it was actually the first in-person meeting I had with um, both Secretary Vilsack as well as um, the two key senators on ag labor reform, um, Senator Bennett from Colorado and Senator Crapo from Idaho. It was the first in-person meeting we'd had in, in a year and a half. So, you know, I, that, it, was, it was kind of refreshing from that point of view. We went up to the Senate Agriculture Committee and, and sat down with um, Secretary Vilsack and the two senators for an hour. Um, it was uh, it was me, several other CEOs of of national and and uh, uh, regional trade associations were there, um, and then we also were joined by the the farm worker advocates, and it, uh, what I thought was really positive was everybody was on the same page. Um, you know, obviously we're we're all coming at this from different places. The dairy industry needs something a little bit different than the potato industry, and the farm workers have a little bit of a different. Uh, set of priorities than than the uh, production ag industry has, but what's common for all of us is that the current system just doesn't work. Um, you mentioned, you know, the the question of what do we need to see fixed, um, and you know, there's there's a number of different challenges with the current system. I'll just I'll mention a couple of them, Zeke. One of the major ones for folks who are participating in the, the 
the current legal guest worker program. We, it's called the H-2A program, but it's the legal agricultural guest worker program. You're, if you're participating in that program, you are mandated to pay an elevated minimum wage. So it's a higher minimum wage than, than uh, any, um, any American would, would see under state minimum wage laws. The problem is the federal government sets that minimum wage and it changes every year based on some kind of magic formula that the Department of Labor and, and uh, several other agencies um, put into their, um, into their whatever you want to call it, magic eight ball or magic box, and they spit out a new elevated minimum wage for the states where you have production. In certain cases, Zeke, that minimum wage has changed 20 or even 30% over the year before. And so, you know, you can imagine if you're sitting there as a, as a farmer trying to run your business and you don't know whether you're going to be paying a wage that is the same as last year or 20% more than last year, how do you budget? How do you plan? How do you make investments? for your operation when labor is one of the most fundamental inputs that you've got to worry about. Um, it's a huge, huge problem. You know, the, the other thing for, you know, for folks who are using, um, pe people want to call them undocumented. You know, on the, if you're not using the legal guest worker side of the house, 80% um, of the, the agricultural operations that go on in the United States right now um, for labor dependent agriculture they're conducted by people who are improperly documented. They're not undocumented. They've got documents. They're just, they're just not, they're, they're not legal documents. They look great on their face, but they're not. If, if a federal government authority sat down and went through it, you'd figure out that they're not um, legal documents. Those folks, that creates a massive challenge, both for the worker, because they're in a completely insecure environment. They can be uh, arrested by, um, by the federal authorities at any time. They can just be gobbled up and um, uh, deported from the country. It's also really ugly for the, the, the uh, farmers and the, the, the uh, agricultural operations that are employing those, um, those improperly documented workers. Again, it's the only labor force, in some circumstances, it's the only labor force they have an opportunity to use. But the prospect of you're sitting there trying to get the harvest out of the ground for, for potatoes or other, other products, or if you're growing um, other specialty crops, you're trying to get, get uh, apples or oranges off of a tree, and the federal authorities come in and raid all your workers in the middle of your harvest. Um, what do you do to keep your operation going? That type of insecurity, both for the for the farm worker, as well as for, for US agriculture who depends on those farm workers, it, it, it cannot go on. Um, I think the challenges with COVID have, have really strained, um, uh, uh, it, it, it's really put additional strain on what already was a very messed up system, Zeke. And you know this, it was great what happened in the House. Uh, about two months ago, the House on a bipartisan basis passed the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Um, 
it, what is it the entire solution? No, but the house has got, you know, this is, this is kind of back to schoolhouse rock days, Zeke. The house has got to pass something. The Senate's got to pass something. You resolve the diff differences between the two and you send it to the president's desk. Pretty simple. Mm -hmm. So now we're at the stage where the Senate, and that's what we had the meeting um, with Secretary Vilsack and the two senators up uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, it was really to talk about how the Senate is going to move forward and improve upon what the House has already done. Um, if that doesn't happen, this whole train stops again, and we're going to be sitting around through another election year and a whole bunch of uncertainty, and ultimately farm workers as well as the, the agricultural operations that they serve are the ones who are going to get hurt, along with U.S. consumers who are just going to see more of their food production head offshore um, or across the border. And I, I don't know anybody who thinks that that's a, that's a great solution for uh, a, a great long-term result for U.S. productivity and food security. Do you struggle with black spot or pressure bruise in your potato crop? The proven biocontrol one force site helps increase deliverables to your shed or plant by reducing the severity and indices of bruise. Incorporate one foresight into your existing storage program for unprecedented success. Learn more at onefourgroup.com. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of farmers over the years and almost to a T, you ask them what their challenges are. And the first thing out of their mouth, I don't care where they're located, is labor. Yeah, they, they can't get enough. So very big priority, very, very important topic on everybody's mind. So um, the last time we talked, uh, we, this was back in January, that we had any kind of in-depth conversation. We were about to undergo an administration change in Washington. Now we're six months later. Any surprises in the way that the Biden administration is operating? And just what, what's the mood like in D.C. right now? Uh, I, th I think a lot of the things that we thought were going to transpire with the new Biden administration are happening. Um, so I, I can't say that there's been any massive surprises. Um, clearly, the challenge that they were going to face, the, the, the White House was going to face, is, you know, they, they rode into office um, being able to capture you know, not only hold their own base, but then also capture a number of kind of, call it middle of the road American voters, kind of your independents, you know, folks, folks who were, you know, kind of those more moderate voices. The, I think the challenge is they get pulled between, you know, the, the, those more moderate voices, which are, who are really important, or just folks who want to get their businesses done and and uh, you know, keep their taxes relatively low and those kind of things. Um, and then you've got some really extreme voices in the, in the Democratic Party um, on the progressive side who wanna enact really fundamental change in how the, the, the US operates. And that could be on a host of issues. That's you know, environmental issues, that's tax policy, that's the social safety net, uh, trade, all those kinds of things. Um, and so the White House, it was, it was very obvious, and this was even before the, the, the election, they were going to have to walk a real tightrope in terms of keeping the, the more volatile parts of their party um, uh, placated 
without having them get out of control and start pushing some really wild policies. I, I think they're, they're still struggling with that. And it probably will be an ongoing struggle over the next three years. Um, you know, I, I think Secretary Vilsack, if you want to focus specifically on USDA, um, Secretary Vilsack obviously uh, knows this job very well. He was Secretary of Agriculture through the entirety of the prior Democratic administration. Um, not, not a lot of surprises there. I think we, we knew what we were going to get. Um, you know, they're, they're um, on the Mexico issue. He, he, he lived the kind of the early chapters of this saga in the prior administration. And it's been very helpful to have someone as knowledgeable as he is at that high level, kind of know our talking points almost by heart. Um, that's, uh, that, that, that's been, that's been I, I think on that specific issue, it's been very advantageous for us. Yeah, deja vu all over again. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, kind of is. It's uh, Mexico and and uh, ag labor reform. Those, uh, it, it's been tough to find a resolution on those two. And I, I'm hopeful we're closer. We're we're getting closer on both of them. Um, a big thing over the last 16 months is getting uh, some relief for food production, food producers who were just hit hard by this whole COVID in thing, especially the potato industry, because. It's so reliant on food service and, and that, you know, dropped off almost overnight and it was a whole mess and we had to shift production and everything. Um, so a lot of your efforts there have been working with getting some relief. We've had a couple of phases of the coronavirus uh, food assistance program. I think if I have that right, CFAB. Um, the second one, I know you were a lot more impressed with what it did for specialty crop producers. Um, what kind of feedback have you heard from uh, your members on that program of anybody that participated in it? And do you foresee any more relief coming in the way of COVID or do you think we're kind of done there? Yeah, so it's, uh, you, you know, we were um, going back over the numbers just real recently, Zeke, on the, kind of the, the entirety of the, of the relief package um, for COVID. And what what was remarkable to, to me was, you know, we sat down with the entire industry. This was, you know, we'll roll, roll it back to 16 months ago. We're, we're sitting there at the end of March, beginning of April 2020, looking at some very dire circumstances, obviously, you know, nationally and internationally, but also specifically for our industry. You had food service just lopped off overnight. Um, it, it, some really ugly circumstances. And, you know, you saw a lot of that in the press, big piles of potatoes that folks were just giving away because uh, they didn't want them to go to waste, but clearly they, they didn't have any willing buyers. And so, you know, we, we sat down as an industry and we said, all right, what do we need to do to, to stabilize the industry? And, and we came up, it was, a, it was a fairly simple plan. It really had two pieces to it. Um, but, you know, six months, 16 months later on, as we talk today, Zeke, it's amazing how closely the federal response um, that we were, you know, it took a lot of work by us to get there, but the federal response really mirrored those recommendations. Um, so we'll, we'll take it in pieces. The, the coronavirus food assistance program, to me, that's a fancy way of saying that a, a, 
a payment, a payment program to directly support growers. And that, you know, that really went for folks who you know, primarily they were lining up to serve the food service industry and that food service industry just shut down overnight. And so those producers were out of options. Um, that, um, you know, that, that program, as you mentioned, was in two phases. The first one that they, they rolled out, um, you know, I, candidly, the, 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 um, the prior administration, they, I, I, I think some folks in the Office of Management and Budget kind of ran over the, the Department of Agriculture and, and they started making some sort of big government mandates and saying, you know, the federal government is going to determine who's been injured in this whole thing and who hasn't. And we had told them from the start that that was a bad model. The, the, you know, the federal, federal government really, the priorities should be getting relief out to growers who need it, don't create a lot of burdens, and um, make this program incredibly accessible. And somewhat like how you file your taxes, everybody's is, you know, the, the contract that you had with the federal government is you're honest in your filings, and you're always subject to audit. So follow that same model for a direct payment program. They didn't want to do that the first time out. They, they said the USDA was going to, I think this, I don't think US, this wasn't USDA's idea. They had it forced on them, but ultimately how it rolled out was USDA was burdened with figuring out who'd been injured and then they make a payment to folks. Well, that didn't work at all. Um, for a number of, of, of uh, producers, not just the potato industry, but kind of across agriculture. It, it was easy if you had a big futures market underlying your product. So corn, wheat, cotton, rice, soybeans, you know, those, those guys, it's pretty easy to figure out price fluctuations because you go look at the futures market. A lot harder with specialty crops because we, by and large, don't have one. Um, so the first iteration of CFAP was kind of a mess. We did a lot of work to claw our way back into that program. And to, to USDA's credit, they did include us in that, in that program. From there on out, I think they recognized the, the errors that were made early on. And so when they got to the second CFAP program, what did it have? It had easy accessibility. It had self-certification by the growers and it had uh, uh, almost immediate payments. And uh, obviously everybody was subject to audit if um, there was something funny in the application, but those recommendations that we provided to them were the ones that the, the, you know, the kind of in their minds, the light bulb went off and they went and implemented them in the second CFAP. So that, that was the direct payment programs. It, it, it took some evolution to get to a better place. Um, we also had the, uh, the Farmers to Families Food Box program that was going on at the same time. And then we also had, um, which, which we had heavily lobbied USDA on because we want, that was the second part of the program is direct support to growers, but then also clear out that oversupply of potatoes that didn't have any place to go. And so the Food Box program was one way to do that. Also direct um, direct purchases by USDA um, of product through their traditional channels um, that went into 
the schools and those kinds of things, um, that, that was really important. So you had those two things working together, big government purchases and direct payments to growers. In aggregate, Zeke, all in, that resulted in $350 million in federal funding going directly to the potato industry over the past 16 months. Um, by far the single largest injection of federal funding to this, that this industry has ever seen. Um, and I, I think it's a real, the, the reason that we got to that beneficial result, um, you know, it, it, candidly, it was a heck of a lot of work and it was a lot of, it was a lot of hours. But the reason that we were able to get there um, we had everybody rowing in the same direction. You know, NPC was, but we, you know, we had our role, and I think that's why we're here is to, is to take on all of the federal and international responsibilities. In this case, it was a massive federal disaster response. But then having the state organizations, uh, Potatoes USA providing us with data, um, working with all of the allied businesses. Um, it was just absolutely essential. And then we coordinated that both with USDA and also with Capitol Hill. And it was that steady drumbeat of simple but forceful um, demands for relief that, that got us to this, to this result. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really gratified by that. Um, it was the single largest disaster relief program I've ever lobbied on, and I've lobbied for a long time, Zeke. So it was a that was a that was a heavy lift, but we got to a got to a good place. Well, hopefully, um, for all of our sakes, uh, that that remains to be the heaviest one you ever have to work on. So yes, there I I do have to. <laughs> you're exactly. Right. I do not want to go through that again. Um, you ask also about um, what's coming next. You know, there. I, I think you know, given given the um, that amount of that injection of money, there there has not been a gigantic hue and and cry from folks for a, another huge injection of federal funding. I think there's things around the edges um, that we might want to keep. Certainly, I think folks um, folks saw some real benefit of, out of that food box program, and I know you know the the, the current administration kind of wants to go back to some of the more traditional channels, but you know it it, it I, I think there's a lot of feedback coming, particularly from the specialty crop world, saying, look, maybe the, those those traditional channels have have value going forward, but don't throw everything out that the prior administration did, just kind of out of you know some you know kind of political wrangling. If there's good things that were happening in that food box program, keep them going forward. I mean, what's the what's the downside of enhancing our federal programs and um, and creating from some real beneficial momentum that serve not only needy individuals but also provide a, a solid base for American producers who, who you know, still you're dealing with kind of a an at best an uncertain uh, market from, you talked to John Tosburn, um, from the demand side of the house, no one really knows what the next few months or few years are gonna look like. Why not have a, a, a reasonable safety net that's not distorting the market, but, but supporting it um, allows, um, uh, allows for, for those, those, those elements of the food box program that we're really working empower those to keep going forward to help the market. Well, Cam, um, 
that was about all the questions I had. And I know we're, I've, I've kept you longer than I anticipated. I, I greatly appreciate uh, your time. But before I let you go, let's end with a fun one. What is your favorite way to eat potatoes? Oh, man, Zeke. I mean, that's a, that, that is a, that's a complicated question. It, so um, it kind of depends on the setting that I'm in. Um, you know, the, if, if I'm having a, if I'm having a, a burger at my favorite burger joint on Capitol Hill, I'm, I'm going to want, I'm going to want some big old, big old uh, fries. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm sitting at Thanksgiving, I mean, mashed potatoes, there's no better way to, to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving than mashed potatoes. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we're sitting around just having our, our dinner on during the, during the work week, we'll do something real simple with reds and yellows. We'll put a little olive oil and, and, uh, and cook those up. And, you know, it's, I, I don't like to drown my food, um, Zeke. So I, I don't really do, you know, like when I do a, a baked potato at a steakhouse, it's just, you know, a little bit of butter. I don't really load them up a whole lot. I, I'm, I keep everything pretty simple. Um, but I guess in short, the, the there's, the, the, as, as long as you're eating a U.S. grown potato in whatever form you like it, you're, it, it's all, it's all good with me. That's the, that's the best, that's the best possible deal out there. Well, that's a good way to end. And uh, again, Cam, thanks for your time and thanks for all the updates. And don't forget the uh, NPC summer meetings are coming up July 26th to 28th. So definitely, you know, always participate. I mean, make your voice heard and, and that's what, that's what the NPC wants. So they want your participation. So thanks a lot, Zeke. Good to talk right. to you. Yep. Take care, Cam. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks again to uh, One Four Group, our sponsor. Be sure to go check them out at onefourgroup.com. We'll see you next time.